Okay, um, James chapter 1, uh, beginning in, in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, please open our eyes and open our hearts to the truths that you have for us this evening. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so I think we need to do just a tad bit of review. Um, so let's go back and look at which James we are referring to because there are four Jameses. And then who he was writing to and what were they facing at the time. Uh, as we discussed before, this is the James that presided over the Jerusalem church, um, as we saw in Acts 12 and 15, he is the brother of Jude and the half-brother of Christ. Who is he writing to? James is writing to the 12 tribes in the, dis the dispersion uh, in verse 1 and references them as brothers in verse 2. While there may have been some Gentiles in this group, the majority were Jewish the dispersing was most likely brought about by the persecution um, brought about by both the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders. For most of these people, they would have, they would have fled, taking only what they could physically carry with them. Because of this, as with most refugees, they were mostly poor, but there were evidently some wealthy individuals that also fled with the others. While some commentators will insist that the rich listed in verse 10 are unbelievers, the context seems to indicate a spiritual brotherhood and not just the brotherhood of Jewish association. This view was confirmed in Douglas Moo's commentary on James. It is important to understand that James is appealing to and commanding wealthy Christians and not every wealthy person. So with the background out of the way, I want to pose a question. How are we to respond to riches? The overarching principle that I see James conveying in verses 9 through 11 is that earthly possessions should always be viewed in light of eternity and judgment. I am going to argue this answer through the following three points as we exposit the text. First, don't be defined by riches, but be defined in your status with Christ. Second, don't boast in riches, but boast in your salvation through Christ. Third, don't be consumed by the pursuit of riches, but in pursuit of service to Christ. 
And so starting in on our first point, um, don't be defined by riches, but be defined in your status in Christ. Uh, look again there real quickly at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. In general, it is a bad thing to boast. Yet here in this verse, James not only allows for, but encourages the lowly brother to boast in his future exaltation. But what does this exaltation entail, and why is it right and good to boast in it? Also, who is the lowly brother? I think James alludes to more of what the exaltation is in chapter 2. So let's turn there real quickly. I'm going to be looking at uh, chapter 2, verse 5. And um, at the beginning of this chapter, James is warning against the sin of partiality uh, within the assembly of believers. During this discussion, he encourages the brethren to look past earthly status and consider the heavenly eternal status. Uh, So reading in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? From this verse, we see that the poor who who could also be called in earthly standards the lowly brother are defined as being rich in faith and heirs of a future kingdom. This partiality defines what I think James is referring to as an exaltation mentioned in chapter, as the exaltation mentioned in chapter 1, verse 9. There are two parts to this, boasting in faith and in the status of the future kingdom. To further illustrate what this looks like, we should turn to a few passages because the idea of this type of boasting is not new. Uh, So turn with me real quickly to Jeremiah chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 23 to 24. Give you guys a second to get there. There we read. Um, Again, uh, chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Notice that this boasting is not self-centered. This passage excludes it from being strictly a form of knowledge or from what a man possesses physically. The boast is in the Lord, his love, his justice, and his righteousness. Though the lowly may face trials of injustice in this life because of worldly status, the lowly brother, brother's boast is one of praise and thankfulness to a God who has lovingly saved them from his divine justice by the imputation of Christ's righteousness. The second part of the lowly brother's boasting, as we mentioned, was in his eternal inheritance. Let's take a brief look at what the inheritance looks like. Turn with me to Romans 8, and we will be looking at verses 12 through 17. And there we read, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit 
you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. From Romans, we are reminded that Christians will be fellow heirs with Christ. They are adopted sons that will share in eternity with Christ in the riches and glories of heaven. So much more can be said about this future inheritance and even the parts that are applicable now, such as being seated in the heavenly places with Christ um, in Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. Um, and in Ephesians 3, if you guys will turn there a second, uh, I want to read from verses 14 through 19. Uh, Paul mentions, uh, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his great glory, he, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, also that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul wants believers to be filled with the unfathomable, and from that to be, and for that to be their focus. He says in words of wonder in Second Corinthians four seven, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Though we only be poor pots of clay, we are filled with the greatest treasure, even Christ. So, if you are lowly, don't define yourself by earthly riches, nor be discouraged by your lack of earthly goods, but consider your worth in the eternal riches that you have in Christ. Let your boast be a song of praise for the salvation that you know because of Christ's work on the cross for you, and the Father's love in adopting you as an as an equal heir with his son. You are indeed rich. Now that we have established that the lowly should see their value in an eternal perspective, let's consider how the rich are exhorted to understand their value. This brings us to point two. Don't boast in your riches, but boast in your salvation through Christ. And turn back to James 1. I'll read uh, verses 9 and 10. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. As mentioned earlier, the rich James is referring to are believers. If this were written to the unsaved, it would be a direct rebuke. But as you can see, there is a positive sense in how the statement to the rich is worded, which makes it more of an exhortation. The rich are also encouraged to boast, but in a different way. In general, it is very easy for the wealthy to feel more important than those who have less, and riches can be a source of pride if viewed wrongly. Also, the rich are more likely to struggle between placing their trust in riches over their trust in God. 
Because of this, James wants the rich to be focused on the soon coming end of their earthly riches so that they remember to pursue what lasts. He exhorts them to boast in their humiliation. So what is this humiliation and what does it look like? A few passages come to mind that may help us answer this question. First, I want to bring back up uh, James 2.5 again. It reads, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? God has chosen the lowly to be rich in faith. Though this is not always the case, in general, the lowly brother is going to have a stronger faith. They are more likely to be tried with financial difficulties and are more in tune with praying for their daily bread than the one who has storehouses of food. Even though both the rich and lowly are equally dependent on the Lord for life, breath, and salvation, it is a little harder for the rich to have this perspective in their daily lives. Part of the humiliation here that may be, may be that the wealthy will discover in the end that they were trusting in their riches far more than they originally thought. Another part of the humiliation of riches is that they cannot save from the grave, they cannot be taken to the grave, and everything is left to others. And what James is talking about here, you can hear echoes from the Old Testament wisdom books. Uh, turn with me to Ecclesiastes. I have a few passages here I'm going to read off. Uh, look at uh, chapter 2, and we'll read verses 18 and 19. Ecclesiastes 2, 18 and 19. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Turn over to chapter 6, verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. And then turn to Ecclesiastes 8, 8. And the first part of that verse reads, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. In the end, part of this humiliation is that the Earthly riches vanish in eternity. James takes it a step further with the reminder of how short this life is, using the Old Testament, Old Testament analogy of the flower of grass. Uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to have you turn to all these, but I'm going to read off a few additional passages. Psalm 90, um, verses 5 through 6. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Psalm 103, 15, uh, 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place, and, and its place knows it no more. And then Isaiah 47 the grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. Throughout scripture, we are told that life is short 
and riches will mold and rust away. Uh, see Matthew 6, uh, or the, the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ mentions that. Uh, this is the humility of the rich. In the end, no matter what you have, all any of us who believe, all that we truly possess is Christ. Uh, note that this passage is not intending to condemn the rich for possessing wealth. James is, however, trying to help the wealthy see the real treasure they possess. I think Paul summarizes what all of our attitude should be in Philippians 3.18. There we read, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Pause there a second. And I was thinking about that this afternoon. And I mentioned earlier the reference of Paul saying uh, clay jars or, or pots. And it's, it's interesting how those two things go together because some of the translations there, um, when they say rubbish, um, they're talking about um, sewage. And then um, Paul says, you know, uh, basically a chamber pot, a toilet, um, we have a treasure. So there's, there's an interesting parallel, though, there. Kind of a rabbit trail, but thought of that this afternoon. Anyways, back to this. As with the first point, uh, we have not even started to exhaust the truce here, but we need to move on to the next point to discuss the dangers of pursuing riches. The third point, uh, don't be consumed by the pursuit of riches, but in the pursuit of service to Christ. Uh, reading James 1, 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We have already touched on the shortness of life, so I think we should consider the part about fading away. Uh, while it is right for a man to work, excessive work, just to gain wealth at the cost of ministry, family, and health is not good. Turn back to Ecclesiastes 6 again. And we're going to read a, a slightly larger passage there. Uh, verses 10 through 17. There we re read... Uh, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Uh, there is a grievous evil, evil that I have seen under the sun, Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Uh, think about verses 13 and 17. And there's two phrases here that I want to kind of focus in on. 
uh, riches kept to their owner's hurt and eating in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Reading this made me think of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And quoting from Dickens, Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge, a squeezing, retching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. You may recall, Scrooge ate by himself, often in darkness, to conserve on candles. And if you re- and you may also recall that he didn't heat his house much to conserve on coal. His entire state was miserable because he feared spending his wealth. In essence, his riches owned him and were kept to his own hurt. Looking back at scripture, Christ mentioned in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, um, looking at verse 24, that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Along with Christ's words, I think this is a good time to bring in what James says about the rich who appear to be unsaved, but are still in the church claiming to be believers. Turn with me to James chapter 5. I will be reading verses 1 through 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Those verses don't need much explanation. Uh, That is a condemnation on those who made their money, or, or who have made money their God, and have abused the poor to obtain their wealth. Paul talked about these people when he addressed the Philippians in chapter 3. He encourages the church not to imitate the earthly-minded, but to follow his example. He said in chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 17 through 21, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, I know I have branched out over a bit from what we said were saved wealthy to the unsaved rich. However, the way that James brings up the rich man fading away in the midst of his pursuits makes me think that he is encouraging the saved wealthy to examine themselves and make sure that they do not have an unhealthy pursuit. I think James provides a means for the wealthy to check this when he is describing what works of faith look like. And you can turn with me real quickly back to James chapter 2. 
and I will be reading verses 14 through 17. There we read, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Are you using the possessions God has given you to meet the needs of the brethren? Through the New Testament, we are encouraged as believers to serve the household of faith. Romans 12, 6-13 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if, ser if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who continues in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I looked up other passages that said similar things, and I was surprised how many of them there were. I'm not going to read them all now, but I'm going to mention the references in case you want to look them up later. So Romans 15, 52, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, Galatians 5, 22, Ephesians 4, 1, Ephesians 4, 32, Philippians 2, 1, and Colossians 3, 12. Again, all those passages have a very similar exhortation to the Romans passage that I just mentioned. So in all these passages, we are encouraged to serve each other. When we think of service to each other and discuss examples, we can't leave out Christ. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God gave up the riches of heaven, became a lowly man, served all above himself, and died in our place. So I will close with these two questions. Uh, for what? And for whom are you laboring? And in what or in whom are you boasting? Let's pray. Uh, dear most gracious Heavenly Father, um, Lord, thank you for your word and the truth that it has for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see riches in the aspect of eternity, Father. Help us to see how you desire us to use them here. Help us to... Um, be faithful to the cause of Christ and help us to remember that you are our greatest treasure moment by moment, day by day. Help us not to be caught up in the pursuits of this world, uh, but may we pursue your kingdom and your coming. And we ask that that coming would be soon and uh, just keep our eyes fixed on that. And we ask all those things in Christ's name. Amen.